Thank you for listening in to this week's sermon from Restoration Church Bryan. To learn more about Restoration, you can find us online at restorationbryan.com. We are so grateful for all those who are able to listen online, and we pray the message encourages you and challenges you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you are not already connected to a local church, we would love to invite you to join us for worship. If you are listening from another city, we pray that this message is a great supplement to your walk with Christ, and our hope is that you would have a gospel-centered local church that you call home. Thanks again for listening. Well, if you got your Bibles, hopefully you're, hopefully you're there. John, John chapter 15, uh, verses 2 through 5. Uh, here, so, so church family, here's my confession as we continue to dive into a, uh, a story that is rooted uh, in, a, in an agricultural, a, a horticultural illustration. I have the absolute opposite of, of a green thumb, okay? Uh, like I, I am amazed by friends who, who, who cultivate gardens and like gross stuff, right? Like they, they've got like tomatoes and cucumber. And I'm like, you grew that? Like it's, you know, it's a miracle. Um, but they, you know, they grow fruits and, and, and veggies and folks who like actually tend to their plants um, and, and, their, and their trees. Uh, years ago, uh, longtime members, it's probably six or seven years ago, longtime members of Restoration, the Boguses, Tom, uh, at, at one point, he, he came over and he, he brought me a blueberry bush. Super kind and thoughtful of him. And so I, I carved out like a little space for this blueberry bush in our backyard. And, and I, like, I was eagerly looking forward to the, the delicious uh, blueberries uh, that they would one day yield. And, uh, and a week later, uh, I, was, I was mowing the yard. <laughs> and I forgot about our new fruit-bearing addition. And I just mowed right over it, right? Just gone. Blueberry bush gone. I think I told Tom like several weeks later. I didn't have the heart to die. Like I was too scared. But apparently, I, like I, I lost, I lost, church family, I lost sight of the fruit, right? I lost sight of the fruit. Church family, the problem today is that too many Christians have lost sight of the fruit. They've lost sight of the fruit. In fact, we, we operate like it's normal, like it's a normal thing for a Christian to not have the fruit of Christ's likeness. We just, we just operate like it's normal. We operate like it's normal to treat obedience to the Bible as optional. Right? Like that, that's like our, our normal experience. You want to do this? Nah. It's optional. We operate like it's normal to have all the religious Christian externals without the internal relationship with Christ. And so I I would just say as we jump into our text this morning, Christian, what about you? Christian, what about you? Are you you settling for a, a cultural version of Christianity that falls woefully short of the Bible's own standard? Are you content with lip service to faithfulness when the reality of your, of your life is, is gospel fruitlessness? And church, if we're going to be all in to abide, we've got to press in and, and, and persevere in, in bearing fruit. But, but what, what, is that, what does that look like? What does that look like? First thing is this. 
If you're following along in your bulletin as we look at verse 2, Christian, don't settle for a fruitless life. Don't settle for a fruitless life. Verse 2 says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. I want you to look at your neighbor and tell him, don't settle. Look, look at your other neighbor, tell him, don't settle. There you go. See, to understand verse 2, we, we talked about this a little bit last week. You have to understand the history of the, of the nation of Israel. We, we, we talked about this, right? Despite God calling Israel, setting them apart, pro protecting them, providing for them, like going before them, their fruit never matched up with who they were supposed to be, the people of God. And so... This, this, is, this is what Jesus, this is why Jesus uh, curses the fig tree in Mark 11, right? This was the point. And so G Jesus wasn't like me. He wasn't like just really bad with fruit. Uh, there, there was a point. Like when he cursed the fig tree in Mark 11 because it wasn't bearing fruit, what he's saying is, that's Israel. The fig tree was Israel. God was looking to it for, 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 for fruit, but there was no fruit, so the church, the, the, the warning is, is clear. We can't, settle, we can't settle for a fruitless life. Now, now there's some important phrases that we, we, we can't ignore in verse 2. First of all, the text speaks of God taking away the fruitless branches. And what's interesting is in the Greek, that, that, that Greek word for take away or remove can also be translated to lift up, Right? There's a, it can also be translated to lift up. D.L. Moody says it like this. He says, in the viticulture of Israel, late fall was the season. Late fall was the season for removing dead branches. But the springtime, which was the time of the upper room message and Jesus' death, which is what the, the, the scene with which John 15 is taking place, that, the springtime, that was the season to lift up, to lift up branches from the ground to encourage productivity, to lift them up off the ground. Church fam, so what could be in view is, is both, both types of gardening. The key is to understand that the gardener, it's the gardener who decides what to do with the fruit. It's the gardener who decides what to do with both, check this out, the fruitful and the fruitless branches. And so at the end of verse two, there's this reference to pruning, to cutting, cutting back, not a, not a dead branch, but a live branch to ensure its future vitality and growth. And, and so church, when it comes to us, we need this reminder that there's, there's no version of pruning that is pain-free. Y'all with me? Like there's, there's no version of pruning that is pain-free. Warren Wiersbe says it like this. Christian, your heavenly father is never nearer to you than when he is pruning you. And Christian, what, what, what makes this so hard for us to hear is like, that's so countercultural. Like, listen, it, it, what, what I mean by that is if, if, you, if you bow the knee to the idolatry of comfort, right? Like, you, you will never get to this plate of fruitfulness. Or, or let me put it this way. If your goal is to avoid pain, 
and to avoid discomfort at all costs, like you have effectively removed one of the primary ways that God refines you and grows you. And so if you don't subscribe to a theology of God's sovereignty over hardship and, and suffering and even, and even sin, if you think about Genesis 50 when Joseph went before his brothers, but if you don't subscribe to uh, God's sovereignty over all those things, your fruitfulness is always going to hit the lid of your idol of comfort. Your gospel fruit, fruitfulness is always going to hit the lid of the idol of your comfort. But, but the question is, what, what, kind of, what kind of fruit are we talking about, right? Are we talking about like your mad like evangelism skills? Or, or are we talking about your, your good deeds, helping the poor, uh, the, serving others, maybe serving uh, within the church as our deacons do? No, listen. Fruitfulness here in John 15 is nothing less than the life and the heart and the character of Jesus being reproduced within you, within your inner self. Uh, Kent Hughes says it like this, God, God is looking for the evidence of his inward grace in us, like within you. That, that's Christian, that's a, that's a fruit of the Spirit. God's love, his joy, his peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control, the things like that you can't fake your way through. Like that's, that's what God is looking for, the fruit that he's looking for within your heart and your mind. And it's possible, Kent Hughes says, to have the outward signs without having the life of Christ within there must be Christ-likeness. See, this is, why, this is why I think we, for so many stories like the, the, the rise and fall of Mars Hill, it is, is so confusing and so contentious. Uh, for the last several months, many have, have listened to the podcast on the rise and fall of Mars Hill Church in Seattle. And, and so we, it's like we see these churches and we, and we see these ministries where, where God, like God is at work. And he's moving and he's saving and, and he's doing great things in the life of people and, and, and in the lives of a lot of people. And, and, and like, it's real. Amen. Can we just say like, God, God really is at work and moving there. We forget that God uses all of it. Amen. He uses all of it. But then we look at the, we look at the flawed character of Christian leaders and pastors, and we say, man, but, but look at the greed, right? Look, look at the platforming. Look, look at the pride. Look at the bullying. Look at the callousness. Like, look at the dysfunction, right? Look at the abuse, and in some cases, look at the immorality. And, and we're absolutely right to call that out. We're absolutely right to call that out. But church, since when does the sin of man trump the sovereignty of God? Since when does man's sin trump God's sovereignty? See, God regularly uses broken vessels to accomplish his purposes and will. However, he is still just to discipline, to prune, and at times even to remove the unfruitful branch who has little or no evidence of the life of Christ within. And thus, 
The sobering reminder, Christian, listen, Christ follower, don't settle for a fruitless life. Don't settle for a fruitless life. Don't settle for anything less than being all in to abide in Jesus. Second thing this morning is this, as we look at verse 3, you want to be fruitful Christian, here's what you need to understand. Christian, ready? You are clean. Can I, can I get an amen? Christian, you are, you are clean. Jesus, he, he looks at his disciples and he, and he says, already, verse 3, you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. I want you to look at your neighbor just say, clean. <laughs> look at your other neighbor and tell them, clean. clean. All right, church, ready? I'm convinced. I'm convinced that the whole of the Christian life is fighting to see yourself the way that God does. Like, I am convinced that the whole of the Christian life, like our sanctification, our growth in Christ's likeness, is just learning and understanding to see ourselves the way, church, that God sees us. See, growing up, growing up, uh, in, uh, we would go to the Brazoria County Fair, right? Uh, and not the Brazos County. We would go to the Brazoria County Fair uh, down on the coast. And, and we, would, we would ride like the little mini roller coasters. And, and they would have the Ferris wheel and all the, the, the carny games and the funnel cakes. Uh, man, I miss the funnel cakes. Uh, all of it. And, and, and one of the attractions each year that you'd walked into was, was, was called the House of Mirrors, Right? And if, you, if you've experienced the glory of the Brazoria County Fair and the House of Mirrors, you would know you'd have to navigate through all these obstacles and you'd have, to, you'd have to walk through all these mirrors to find your way out. And inevitably, people would stop in front of certain mirrors because of how absolutely like, ridiculous they looked. Right, so so they would they would stop. They would see themselves in, in a mirror, and uh, you know, depending upon how concave or how convex it was, they would stop and they would see like either like a this elongated torso or or a, a stretched out face, or maybe it was like they're looking in the mirror and and, and the mirror showing these like short little stubby uh, legs, and, and they'd stand there and they would stare, but everyone really knew like that's. That's not who I am, right? In the back of your mind, you're like, that, that's, not, that's not who I am. Church, here's a problem. We're not, we're not staring into the mirror of God's word, allowing the Bible to tell us who we are anymore. We're not staring at God's word. We're too busy gawking at the, the carnival mirrors of this world, buying into the distorted picture. And then here's what happens. Then we live and we act in response. We live and we act in response. That's why for too many American Christians, we, we, we're stu- we can live primarily for the American dream and not for the Great Commission to make disciples of Jesus Christ. That's why for, for, too many, for too many American Christians, listen, Steph and I were looking at a statistic just this past week over the weekend, and we saw that's why that 80%, 80% right now of unmarried evangelical Christian, right? Like, even, like they profess Jesus is my Savior and Lord. 80% of evangelical singles, 18 to 29, have had sex outside of marriage. 
80%. That's why Christians can discard their babies in the womb just like the lost world. That's why Christians can just look the other way at our, at our the injustice, at our idolatry, and our immorality. Because our standard is not what God's word says. Our standard is not what God says about us. Our standard is the world in its ever-shifting relative truth and morality. Christian, what if you lived like you were clean? What if you lived in response and in light of John 15, 3 and just lived like you were what Jesus said you were, that you were clean? One of my, Steph and I, our, one of our favorite worship songs back in the day, it's an oldie, was the Shane and Shane song called You and I. Now, I, I love in the song, it's God speaking over the Christian. In the first verse, it just says, clean. God's saying, clean. I call you clean. I came to clean you, and it's done. And he says, here, God says, here's a call to all who felt disqualified to run, right? Anybody felt disqualified? And then God, he's singing over, he says, pleasures flowing here and there from my right hand. What's mine is yours. Come behold all of who I am. But the most powerful part of the song is the bridge where God just says, you are clean, and then you hear the echo of the Christian who's saying, I'm dirty. And God says, no, you're clean. And the Christian's saying, no, I, like, I'm unworthy. And God says, you're clean. I'm dirty. No, you're clean. And God says, that's what I'm wanting. I want you to see what I've already done through my son. I want you to see what I've already declared over you. See, in John 13, 10, Jesus as he was around the table with the disciples, he said this in regard to the disciples minus Judas. He said, you are clean. Christian, here in verse 3 of John 15, Jesus again reminds his disciples, you are clean because of the word that I've spoken over you, that I've spoken to you. It's interesting, clean in the Greek, this word katharos is directly related to the word for prune, katharo. So the cleaning and the pruning go together. Notice something important. Look, look, look at verse 3. Notice the vehicle for how this cleaning takes place. Because church, it's not a reference to baptism. It's a, it's a reference to faith. You're cleansed by God's grace through faith in the word of Jesus. The gospel. Amen? Romans 10, Paul says it like this. How then will they call in, on him in whom they have not believed? How, how are they to believe in him who they have never heard? And, now, and how are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? And Romans 10, 17 tells us, for so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The word of Christ. Church, the word of Jesus is powerful. Amen? I like it. The word of Jesus is powerful. Amen? Like, do we, do we believe that? Like, when Jesus rolled up on the scene and said, uh, hey, your sins are forgiven, like, it was, it was done. Like, Jesus said it, and then he would validate it. He's like, uh, just so y'all know that I have this authority, hey, get up and walk. 
It, his, the miracles validated the Messiah and his message. So when he said, your sins are forgiven, it, it, was, it was done. And so either, either we believe that word is authoritative and true for us too, or like you, you live your life, Christian, trying to wash and cleanse yourself of, of things that Jesus said he's already accomplished through his life, death, and resurrection. And church, it's not about cheap grace, Right? It's not, about, it's not about cheap grace. It's about believing that the grace that has saved you can set you apart for God. It's about believing that the grace that has saved you can also is powerful and effectual enough to transform you from the inside out. And believing that you're clean, it, listen, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that you don't still deal, Christian, with the, the lingering presence of sin. Like, we all do, right? We all do. And to say, but first John addresses it, to say, man, I don't have sin, or to not confess sin, man, that's a, a mark of a, of a spiritually immature person. No, believing that you are clean, Christian, means that you understand that sin's penalty, but not just the penalty, sin's power has been broken over your life. Amen? You're no longer enslaved to that sinful nature. So, so the world is not your mirror anymore. God's word is. Christ is. And so Christian, if you have a brand new nature from which to draw from, but you don't see it and you don't believe it and, and you're missing that so much of the victory starts, starts with an understanding that you're, you're not, listen, Christian, you're not, you're not working toward clean. You're working from a foundation of clean, what Christ has accomplished for you. So now, now you just, you need to just match your affections and your, your desires and your thinking and your actions with what God has already declared over you. Third thing this morning is this. As we look at verse 4 and 5, Christian, you got to crucify the self-reliance. you gotta, you got to crucify the self-reliance. I, I want you to look at your neighbor and tell them, crucify the self-reliance. <laughs> look at your other neighbor tell them, crucify the self-reliance. <laughs> I mean, don't say it all judgy like that, okay? Um, but look at verse 4 and 5. It says this, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in, in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, verse 5, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. See, twice, twice in verse 4 and 5, there is this repetition of not only the Christian's role and our call to abide in Christ, which is what we talked about last Sunday, but there's also this reminder of Christ in us, right? In verse 4, Jesus talks about I in you. And in verse 5, he talks about I in him. See, as a, as a kid growing up, in the, growing up in the little Baptist church, we, we would do this. We, there, there was this emphasis on, on asking Jesus, inviting Jesus into your heart, right? And, and so you just, 
you grew up, if you were me, you grew up with this terminology and this concept of Jesus in your heart. And somewhere along the way, uh, we, we began to ridicule that notion. This last week, I, I saw an online article, and it was entitled, The Danger of Inviting Jesus into Your Heart, right? It's dum-dum-dum, right? Like, I'm so glad that no one told, like, the eight-year-old version of Jonathan how dangerous it was. Like, hey, are you sure about this, kid? Like, I, I don't know now. <laughs> and so... I get it, right? Like, I, I understand. I understand the sovereignty perspective of not wanting to use language that indicates that God is somehow subservient to the will and the request of people. Like, God's over here like, oh, my gosh, little Timmy's heart's ready. I better go. <laughs> you know? Like, I don't think that's how it works. He's like, I better get in little Timmy's heart right now. <laughs> no. And so... But certain theologians will, will, will say, well, Jesus, rightly so, like, they'll say Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, and, and he's preparing a, a place for us in heaven. So, like, get out of here with all that Jesus in your heart talk, right? Church, yes, Jesus, Jesus has ascended. Yes, he is preparing a place for us. Yes, he has is, he is sent us a helper, the Holy Spirit, to indwell us and empower us and to give us gifts and to guide us in the truth and conviction and, and, and all those things and so much more. But we listen, we can't ignore a, a clear teaching of Scripture. The church, we need to recover a, a healthy biblical theology of the believers, sort of this mystical union with Jesus Christ. Being, listen, being in Christ, abiding in Christ, and Christ abiding in you, it, like it's so much more than just like a theological proposition, okay? It, it, is, like an, it is an ontological promise. We've, we've dismissed the presence of Christ so much that now he's just distant. He's just distant. But what does Scripture teach? If y'all want to jot some of these down, what, is, what does Scripture teach? 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Romans 8, 10. But if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. What about Galatians 2.20? I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What about Ephesians 3.17 where Paul says, so that Christ may dwell. Oh, wait a minute. In your heart. What? Jesus in my heart. <laughs> so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, being rooted and grounded in love. Part of why we struggle to crucify this, this dogged self-reliance that we have is that we fail to see Jesus as present with us and in us right now. Christian, Jesus is 
present with you and in you right now. And that changes everything. It changes everything. This, this is what many in history have called practicing the presence of Jesus. Practicing the presence of Jesus. And, and why is this important? New American Commentary says it like this. As a branch separated from the supply of nourishment cannot produce fruit, neither can the Christian. Fruit bearing for the disciple is totally dependent on a direct connection to Jesus. And so, so verse 5 reminds us Jesus says, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. In the Greek, it's this word, udes, and, and it's nothing. The sense is being of a quantity of no importance. But, but I know what you're thinking. Some of you are going to say, as I did too, wait a minute. Wait, wait a minute. We, we, do, we do plenty of things apart from Christ. You, you can earn a truckload of money apart from Christ. Like you can build a career apart from Christ. You can, you can raise a family. You can even do like good things and be incredibly generous apart from Christ. You can make a name for yourself apart from Christ. Heck, you, you can pastor a church apart from Christ, right? You can preach and teach and counsel and do all the things apart from Christ. But your inner life, the desires of your heart, the thoughts of your mind may not reflect the life and the love of Jesus. See, for that, you got to be connected actually to the vine. You got to be connected to the vine. And so hear me. Just to reiterate, God, God uses all of it. God uses all of it. But Christian, when, when you stand before the Father... When you stand before the Father and when the Christian's works, right? This is in 1 Corinthians 3. When the Christian's works are passed through the fire. Listen, anything not built on the foundation of Jesus Christ is not going to withstand the test. And so this is about the fact that God, God sees your heart. God sees your heart. So while, yes, like your actions matter, they absolutely matter. God is after your affections. It's a great commandment. Love the Lord. Like your actions are important, but God is after your affections. He's after your heart. So if those two things don't align, if they're not aligned, know that one, God sees right through our self-righteousness. And God sees right through our self-reliance. And two, know that God, God will not leave you alone until you repent and live from the inside out, from the overflow of Christ in you. And I'll close, I'll, I'll close with this this morning. It, it, it's interesting that from the very beginning, God, God had people focused on fruit. Amen? Like, he set, he set up Adam and Eve in a, in a garden, right? Like, here's some fruit. <laughs> it's yours. In fact, what he told them, when he told them in the garden was, hey, this is all yours uh, except, except this one fruit-bearing tree. And, and here, here was his point. Don't miss this. God's point was this. It wasn't just about the outward fruit. He wanted them to understand that he alone was the source 
of their life wasn't just that like we, we, we argue about that was it an apple I don't know can I eat well I'm not giving up honey crisp okay no it wasn't, wasn't about the outward fruit it's about understanding Christian that Jesus is the source of your life so like the worst thing that you could do today is walk out that door and say man gosh like I, I just I need to be more fruitful. I, you know, I need to be a better Christian. Like I, I, I just need to try a little harder and I need to sin a little less. And you walk out that door and you launch out in your own strength and you forget that Jesus is the source of your life. And he's the source of your righteousness before the Father. And he's the source, Christian, of your salvation and your sanctification, your only ability and hope to grow. And so today, Christian, don't settle. Don't settle. Live. Live like you're clean. And quit flirting with sin like it's going to satisfy something that Jesus can't. And quit carrying the burden of, man, it's all on me and surrender to the Savior who took it all on him. Amen? Surrender to the Savior who, who took all of our sin on his shoulders because they were big enough. Surrender to the Savior who, who could not be held by sin and death because he was God in human flesh. So Christian, here, here's the call to abide Abide in Christ and know and know that fruitfulness, fruitfulness is right on the other side of your surrender. Y'all pray with me this morning.